us, people, we, glamour. A quick look at any checkout counter at a grocery store will show you that we are obsessed with self. Meanwhile, God has a different plan, as we'll see next. Welcome to Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse from Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. Today, we continue with our look at a message simply entitled, Killing Sin. Be killing sin or it'll be killing you. And as we begin our time today, we're reminded of the fact that it is our obligation to the Lord and not to our own flesh. It is a selflessness that we are to be putting on. Contrary to the popular belief in our culture today that it's all about self, we need to preserve self, love self. Join us as we take a look at God's design. Here's Pastor Steve with today's program. See, God has given us incredible, powerful weapons to fight against sin. I just think a lot of believers don't understand what they are. But every one of those weapons is available through the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, what do those weapons do? That's what he says in verse 5. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to what? To obey Christ. Paul did not conduct himself according to the flesh. Even though he lived in a human body, he didn't do that. He fought with spiritual weapons. Back in Romans chapter 7, we saw it in verse 14 and and so forth. He cries out, you know, basically he gives this struggle, verses 14 through 23, that he's going on. Want to do the right thing, you can't do it. Boy, the thing that I don't want to do, I end up doing all this. Finally, he screams, verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? I mean, that's, you can kind of sense his anxiety here. He wanted to do what God wanted him to do. You know, I believe that there's a, many Christians want to do what God wants them to do. They want to be obedient to God. They want to obey God. They don't like the guilt of having fallen in sin and having to go and ask for forgiveness. Who likes that? He wanted that, but he found something within him that was holding him back. And he says there in verse 25, thanks be to God Through what? Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my, what's it say? Mind, but with the flesh I serve the law of sin. We all have that experience. And today in our text in verses 12 to 13, Paul is basically saying, you know what? You need to kill sin or it's going to kill you. If you've never read the book, The Mortification of Sin, I, I, I highly recommend it to you. Just make sure you buy the the modern English version and they've kind of adapted it to modern day English so you can read it comfortably and understand what he was saying. But Paul tells us that the mindset on the flesh is death. The mindset on the spirit is life and peace. So what's he saying? He's saying, you know what? You better be killing your sin or it will be killing you. Galatians chapter 6 verse 8, Paul writes, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh, what? Reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. See, there's only two ways to live. There's only two outcomes here. To live according to the flesh, which ends in eternal death, or you can live according to the spirit, which ends in eternal life. You can't have 
part of your, your foot in the, in the flesh and part of it in the... Either you're one or the other. And we've talked about this before. There's, there's either you're a believer in Christ and you're filled with his spirit or you're not. There's no gray area there. Charles Simeon, commentator, said this, either sin must be our enemy or God will be. That's it. Either sin is your enemy or God is. That's serious business. To kill your sin, remember your obligation is not to the flesh, but to the Lord. That's what he says in verse 12. So then, look at what he says, brethren. He wants us to understand that we're all in this together. He doesn't say, oh, you know, you, you poor, you know, unspiritual Christians down there. You, you know. No, he says, brethren. He includes himself. That we're under obligation to not to live to the flesh. He wants us to understand that there's an obligation we have to the Christ. Why is that? Because he bought us with his blood, the Bible says. So now we belong to him. We're not our own. His spirit now dwells within us. What's it mean to live according to the flesh? It means to live under the domination of the flesh, according to its desires, which are self-centered. They're opposed to God. They're not subject to his word. I remember speaking with one individual years ago, having recurring sin in his life. And every time I talked to him, I thought, you know, I just need to ask this guy where he's at. Because this was serious stuff. And I said, don't, you know, I turned to First John and I said, you know, those who love the world, hate God, I shared that all with him. And I said, what do you think your problem is? And he looked right in my eyes and he said, you know what, brother? I just love the world. I love the world. I said, you know what, brother? You're not my brother. <laughs> According to the authority of God's word, you're not a believer. Oh, I tried. No, you, no, you didn't. No, sorry. Don't play that game with me. More seriously, don't play it with God. See, we need to be reminded that when God saves us, he transforms us. He changes us. One commentator says it's tremendously important to grasp the import here of verse 12 because it teaches beyond all question that the believer still has sinful desires within himself despite having been crucified with Christ. The flesh has yet to be eradicated. See, as long as we live in this sinful flesh and as long as we live in this sinful world, we're going to have to deal with sin. Now, does God give us victory? Over sin? Well, he says he does. To kill your sin, you have to understand the horrific consequence if you do not kill it. Because it will kill you. That's what he says there in verse 13 of chapter 8. For if you are living according to the flesh, basically you must die. Or you will die, as the ESV puts it. The literal Greek says you are about to die. He's saying two things here. A life unchecked to sin leads to eternal death. When I talked to that individual, his life was unchecked. He just went down that road full bore. But he was still saying, oh, no, no, I, Jesus forgave me of my sins. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute, what's wrong with this picture? I mean, death is a very strong word for Paul to use. You think of it in stark contrast to life, which is promised to those who set their minds on the things of the Spirit and who by the Spirit put to death the deeds of the body, he tells us. Note here that Paul did not say, if you don't kill your sins, you're going to lose some rewards in heaven. See that? He doesn't say that. He wants us to view this as mortal combat. Either you kill your sin or your sin will kill you. Not just with an early death, but with eternal death. Look over at Colossians chapter 3 because Paul says the exact same things in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, 
After talking about, well, I'll just start in verse 1. We'll put it in context. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things of the earth. We spoke about this several weeks ago, having the right mindset. Verse 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. What a wonderful thing that is. Verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. All those are blessings that a Christian enjoys. And then Paul says, because of this information that I just shared with you, which are facts that are true for every believer, he says in verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. If you don't understand what he means, he gives us some examples. It's not a completed list, but it's pretty pretty close. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On the account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once, what? Walked when you were living in them. But verse 8 tells us, but now, now what? Now that you're a Christian, now that you have the spirit of God, now that you've been transformed, now that you're no longer under sin's dominion and penalty, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. And here there is no Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And you know what? If you have a complaint with somebody else, make that complaint. No, it says forgive each other. (laughs) Doesn't say go and even whine about it. Wow. It says forgive them. Why should you do that, Paul? Because the Lord has forgiven you, has he not? (laughs) Who do you think you are that you you take offense at somebody's wrongdoing to you? You know, we need to learn as Christians sometimes to not be so timid when it comes to taking offense at what people do or say. Because when we take offense at maybe what a brother or sister says or how they treat us, we get our feelings hurt. A lot of times that leads to some form of anger. And a lot of times that leads to you responding in a way that's not honoring to Christ. I get it. They offended you. Okay. What are we called to do? We're called to extend grace. Extend grace. Well, you don't understand. It doesn't matter. (laughs) Unless your, your situation adds up to what Christ went through. I don't even need to talk to you about it. We're too quick to take offense, beloved. We need to extend grace. I'm not saying you just lay down and let people walk all over you. We're not called to do that either. But we need to be careful with what the Bible here tells us to do and how we're living our Christian life. He continues there in Colossians, and he says this, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you indeed were called in one body, and be thankful. (laughs) Verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Admonishing somebody is basically graceful criticism, you might say. But it's done with grace. Okay, it's done with grace. It's done with love. Look, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with what? With thankfulness in your hearts to God. 
Why would you do that if, if, if you have a complaint against somebody? Because you realize that the grace of God was first extended to you. Thank God that, that Christ doesn't treat me justly because of my sin. I'd be in hell forever. But he extends grace to me through Christ. He closes off there in verse 17. Whatever you do, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything. In case you didn't hear him the first time. Whatever you do, everything. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then he goes on throughout Colossians and he basically says, here's what this looks like. Talks about Christian households and marriages and raising kids and all kinds of things. See, if Christians are saved by grace, not by works, we're eternally secure. And because of that, that's why we should be killing our sin. This isn't something that we we do to get God to like us more. Our relationship with God is sealed. John Piper said this, putting to death the deeds of the body by the spirit, the daily practice of killing sin in your life is the result of being justified and the evidence that you are justified by faith alone apart from works of the law. He goes on and he says this, if you are not at odds with sin, you are not at home with Jesus. Not because being at odds with sin makes you at home with Jesus, but because being at home with Jesus makes you at odds with sin. James Boyce says, Paul is saying that if you live like a non-Christian, dominated by a sinful nature, rather than living according to the Holy Spirit, you will perish like a non-Christian. Because you are a non-Christian. Please understand, sin is not neutral. And it's definitely not nice. Sin always destroys, both for time and eternity. That indwelling sin is like a lion. It may be nice at first, but at some point it turns on you. And the results are never, ever pretty. There was a Frenchman, rather rich gentleman. He kept a two-year-old lion in his home as a pet. One night in June 1977, they called him Baron the guy's name, Baron Richard, he tried to make his pet go into the bathroom where he usually spent the night, but the lion refused to go, leaped on its master, and within minutes had clawed him to death. See, that's what sin is like. First you think, oh, this is not going to hurt anything. Not hurting anybody. To kill your sin, you need to put it to death by the Spirit of God. That's the only way. That's the only hope you have. Galatians 5.17 says... Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. And down in verse 24 and 25 of Galatians 5, he tells us how to resolve this. He says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. When you became a Christian, the Holy Spirit entered into your life. You have all the power you need to be enabled to live in victory over Satan, over demons, over the flesh, over sin. Galatians chapter 5 verse 18 tells us exactly how. It says, do not be drunk with wine. Do not be controlled with wine. This isn't a treatise on drinking alcohol. He's using wine as an example. He's saying, when you drink too much wine, what happens? That wine, that alcohol controls you. 
Most of us have probably experienced that at some point in our life. Remember when I was young, I went out with some friends. I was very shy in high school. Put some alcohol in me, man, turned into a raging maniac. It was not myself. I still remember being embarrassed the next day at school when they said, man, you should see what you were doing last night. You, you know, you said that. I did that? Really? I, I remember blushing as a result. Why? Because that alcohol was controlling me. But he says, don't be, don't be drunk with wine. Don't be controlled with alcohol. But which is excess, he says, but be filled with what? The Spirit. Be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And that's continuous. We get the Spirit of Christ when we become a believer. He baptizes us into the body of Christ through the power of the Spirit. We have everything that we need pertaining to live a godly life in Christ. The question is, are we appropriating the power of the Spirit on a daily basis? Or are we just trying to roll up our sleeves and with a little bit of elbow grease, hopefully we'll defeat this sin? God's saying, no, you won't. You can't. You need the Holy Spirit's power in your life. You need to bring yourself into subjection under the Spirit's power. You need to be filled with the Spirit. What's that mean? Controlled. This is an ongoing thing. You know, we're controlled by whatever fills our mind. That's what we're controlled by. You know, it's the old adage, garbage in, garbage out, right? Same thing. And so he's saying here, if you let the Spirit of God control your mind, it's going to be renewed in the Spirit, and you're going to manifest godly behavior on a continuous basis. But if you're controlled by your flesh, well, you see the results. So he says, be filled with the Spirit. This isn't some... A static experience that he's saying to have. It simply means to allow our life to be under the control of the Spirit. And it's continuous. It's like breathing. I like it. Call it spiritual breathing. You know, when, when I'm faced with a decision, a temptation, sometimes I do the right thing by the Spirit of God. Sometimes I don't by the flesh. I'll give in. I'll yield to sin. And when I yield to sin, what happens? The Spirit convicts me. What do I need to do? I need to go to God and and confess, look, I blew it in this area. Thank you for your forgiveness. Lord, I I pray that your spirit would take back control of, of my life. Because when I sin, the one thing I know for sure is the spirit of God is not in control of my life. Because the spirit of God would not do anything sinful. And so we're to be continually filled with God's spirit. When you sin and you will sin, what are you to do? You go to God and you confess. Lord, you know what? I blew it. Here's my life afresh. Thank you for Christ dying on the cross. Thank you that I'm secure in you. And, and, and Lord, I thank you that you've given me the Holy Spirit to, to take control back over my life. I yield it to you now. And you go on from that point. Two minutes later, you might be right back confessing. I don't know. But the idea is, is that's going to happen until the day we die, beloved. That word filled is often used in the Gospels to talk about a particular attitude or a feeling. It talks about things, people being filled with hate, filled with bitterness, filled with rage. Well, what does that mean? They're controlled by that emotion. And what Paul is saying here is, you know what? Rather than be controlled by some emotion, be controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. 
And what will happen, verses 19 to 21, he says the same thing here as he said in the other text. Over in Colossians, speak yourselves psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Make melody in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things, submitting yourselves one to another. Every relationship you have, beloved, will be affected when you're filled with God's Spirit. And I pray that we would clearly understand that and practice that. Quickly, seven steps to kill your sin. First of all, purpose to be godly and discipline yourself for that purpose. Make that a matter of prayer. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 says, Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. So you have to decide at some point, my aim is to become a man or woman of God so that my life glorifies God. I'm done playing with this sin stuff. I want to I grow in my walk with Christ. Secondly, kill your sin at its root and it will not bear its deadly fruit. Owen said this, you can knock the fruit off the tree, but if you don't want it to grow, you've got to cut the tree down at the roots. See, sin begins on the heart or thought level. If you cut it out there, it won't go any further. No one ever committed adultery without first thinking about it. So whether it's lust, greed, selfishness, pride, Cut it off right there. Don't entertain it. Thirdly, cry out to God for deliverance and take whatever action you must to flee temptation. And I mean whatever action. Psalm 50 verse 15 says, Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I shall rescue you and you will honor me. Paul writes to the first, first Corinthians 6.18, Flee immorality. Run away. 2 Timothy 2.22, Flee useful lusts. The problem with Folks in the church today, I'll say mostly men in the church today, is that rather than fleeing immorality and fleeing youthful lusts, we're running to them. (laughs) Fourthly, set your mind on the things of the spirit, not on the things of the flesh. Fifthly, spend time, obviously, daily in the word of God. Sixthly, keep the cross in view at all times to deepen your love for Christ, your hatred of sin, and your desire to glorify God. And then lastly... Walk each day in dependence on the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I know that these messages are kind of sobering. They're they're sobering for me as I prepare each week because you show me my own sinfulness, my own inability to live a life that's honoring before you all the time. And yet during those times when I fail you, I'm so much reminded of your grace, of your forgiveness that we have in Christ. It's because of his sacrifice on Calvary that we are even able to be here meeting in this place. And so, Father, you know each heart that's gathered here this morning. Father, you know the burdens that they may be carrying. Lord, I know that your gospel, your spirit has the power through the power of your word to transform the human heart to open up blinded eyes to the truth of the gospel. That we're all in this together. We all have sinned. We all fall short of God's glory. We all need a savior. By the way, we can't be our own savior. That's the message this morning. So stop trying. Give up. Give in to the Lord, to the power of his spirit. He wants to forgive you. He wants to make you a new person in Christ. And for believers, I pray that we would understand more fully how to live a life that is pleasing to you in every way, that we can live a life that is filled with your spirit, not filled with the guilt of sin and failure. 
but filled with the victory that we have in Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you for spending time with us here today on Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. And we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade 5. And if you would like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We meet at 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. Directions are on our website, gracefultruth.org, or again, simply call 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. And again, we'd love to have you join us for worship. Simply call for directions or go to our website, gracefultruth.org. While you're at our website, make sure to check out the resource materials available from us here at Graceful Truth, including past programs of Graceful Truth that you can download for free. Gracefultruth.org is where to go. If you're writing to us, our address is 2225 Euclid Avenue. That's 2225 Euclid Avenue. We're here in Redwood City. The zip code is 94061. And again, our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We thank you for spending time with us today and trust we'll see you next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse.